presence of our great God. And this morning, I, I want to lean into that, knowing the presence of God. You know, last week, Pastor Dean spoke an awesome message on recognizing Jesus, recognizing his presence, living with more of an awareness of his presence. And, and it was an awesome, an awesome Sunday. And I want to follow that thread a little bit further this morning. So as I think about what it means to, to be a person of faith, there's almost no grander pursuit than to know more of the presence of God. Who would agree with that? It's like if we just might know more of God's immeasurable presence in our life, there's almost nothing greater, nothing, nothing higher that we could take hold of than the awesome presence of God. And I want to speak into that this morning. And uh, I want to take you to, to Numbers, the, the, fourth, the fourth book of the Bible. And, uh, and in Numbers, we see, we see God's people, Israel, and they're kind of caught in between. They've been, they've been set free from Egypt and Pharaoh, and, and Moses, through the power of God's, led them out of captivity. And now they're in the desert. They're, they're at Mount Sinai. The covenant's been given. The Ten Commandments have been given. And they're about to start the journey to the promised land of Canaan. And basically, all of Numbers is that in between space, between God's deliverance from Egypt and, until they finally arrive at the promised land. And, and we're going we're gonna to see that, that in this part of Scripture and so often in Scripture that God's pres presence is revealed in such a unique and powerful and amazing way. And there's something really key in this passage of Scripture that, that I want to take our attention to right from the start. And it's this idea of the tabernacle. Someone say tabernacle. The tabernacle. And you, you hear that word, and if you're new to church, you're like, yeah, that's exactly the kind of word I expect to hear when I come to church. It's not, it's not a word we normally throw around. But, but I want to speak into this idea of, of tabernacle the, this morning. And this is, this is something that really key that happens towards the start of Numbers, that the tabernacle is set up. And we're going to read about the tabernacle. I'm going to take you to Numbers chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you open to Numbers chapter 9. We're going to get into the Word of God this morning. It's going to be on the screens as well if you don't have that. And we're going to begin with the first two verses, verses 15 and 16. Are we ready, church? Yeah. We sound ready. Here we go. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant law was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. Someone say fire. And that is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night, it looked like fire. Now, this picture is a picture of God's literal presence amongst his people. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And this is how God began to reveal himself to Israel through the journey of Exodus and leading out of Egypt, that they were able to follow him as a visual representation of his presence, a literal embodiment of his presence, cloud by day, fire by night. Now the tabernacle then was his dwelling place. It was set up to be the place where God's literal presence would dwell amongst his people. The tabernacle itself was like a, a really immaculate tent. Any campus here? 
any campers. Anyone got just like a really sweet tent? It's got like multiple compartments. It's spreading out. You like you rock up at the campsite and you're like, man, we're going to need another bay here. Our tent's just too, too crazy. This is kind of what the tabernacle was like. It was this amazing, immaculate tent. Remember that Israel at this time, they're in between. They're traveling through the desert. They're a nomadic people. They're camping. They're traveling. They're camping. And the tabernacle was this, this, this amazing tent that they could carry with them that would be the place of God's presence, his spirit among them. And how's this? From the moment that it was set up, the pillar of cloud rested upon it. And by night, it burned like fire. Imagine that. They're camping in the desert. It's night. There would have been a red glow throughout the whole camp that they would have been able to see. That is the presence of God here with us. Wouldn't it be amazing to know the presence of God like that in our lives? That every time we looked up, we see that burning glow of his presence right there with us. This is the experience that Israel had in the book of Numbers and is described in this passage. That God's presence went with them, dwelled with them. That it was his dwelling place. You know, I want to talk a little bit more about this idea of the tabernacle. Because throughout scripture, God is constantly finding a place to dwell among his people. And it begins here with the tabernacle, with the tent. And for a period of time in the history of God's people, this was God's dwelling place. It was the tabernacle. We know for for 40 years they made that journey slowly through the desert. And the tabernacle went with them, God's dwelling place. But then eventually... Israel finally took the promised land and through King David and King Solomon, we we see the the kind of Israel move into that golden age of their history where the temple is built, an amazing structure and, and just incredible. And then the temple became the permanent place of God's dwelling among his people. So first we've got tabernacle, someone say tabernacle. Then we've got temple. Someone say temple. Temple. Okay, we got this is God's dwelling place. First the tabernacle, then the temple. And the history continues until the line of Israel is eventually broken, the temple's destroyed, until finally the next embodiment of God's presence among us. It's not a tent, it's not a building, but it's the incarnation. It's Jesus Christ. So now we have tabernacle, temple, Jesus. Someone say Jesus. This is now the literal embodiment of God's presence among his people. No longer a structure, no longer a tent, no longer a building, but it is a living, breathing person that captures the fullness of God's presence among his people. Tabernacle, temple, then Jesus. Then through Jesus and his work on the cross, we see another shift in the embodiment of God's dwelling place among his people. That because of what Christ did in each one of us and the heart of the believer that by faith through grace places their trust in Jesus, something happens and there's now a new dwelling place of God's presence. It's not the the human Jesus anymore, but it's the heart and the soul of the believer. The new tabernacle. Have you following me here? tabernacle temple Christ our savior and through his work on the cross now my soul is the temple of God my soul is the dwelling place of the spirit of God and the same God that appeared to his people like a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire rests on my heart and my soul And that's true for every one of us that places our faith and trust in the name of Jesus and says, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my Savior, you've redeemed me, I'm yours. 
Your soul becomes the dwelling place of the Spirit of God and the cloud and the fire rests upon your heart. We are the dwelling place of God's Spirit. We are the dwelling place of His presence. And now if people are going to see a glow like fire of the presence of God, it's going to come from your heart. It's going to come from your soul. It's going to come from the way that you live your life like a burning fire that all can see. They knew the presence of God in such a unique way. How can we know the presence of God like that? You know, I think this needs to become one of the defining questions of our lives. How do we come to know the presence of God in a deeper and fuller way? How's it going to be like that in my life? You know, we're going to follow this story in Numbers a little bit further. And I think there's some things here that we can take, we can wrestle with, we can think about as the church today. Actually, can I go one step further? Tabernacle, temple, Jesus, my heart, your heart, and then the church together. That is the church now that is the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. And it's not fire that's going to come and cover a building like this. It's fire that's going to cover the, cover the heart of the soul of believers. So his dwelling place is the church. Let me take you back to the scripture. Numbers chapter 9, verse 17 and 18, we're going to read together. So you can put your heads back down in your Bible, or you can lift them up to the screens, whichever your preference this morning. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out, and at his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. Isn't this interesting? We've got two key ideas here, encamping and setting out. Now, here's what's so important that we talk about at this point in in our history. The tabernacle was the dwelling place of God. It was his house. It was his home. It was his place to reveal himself amongst the people. But the tabernacle didn't define where God's presence was, did it? The tabernacle followed God's presence. That when the cloud rested, they set up the tabernacle. They encamped together around it. When the cloud lifted and began to move, they set out. They packed up. They followed God's presence. And when it rested again, they encamped again. You know what they were doing? They were following him. They were following him. And as I see this picture of what was happening in how God revealed himself in this new, unique way to ancient Israel, we see that there's this link between knowing his presence and following him. There seems to be this strong connection between the ideas of experiencing his presence and being willing to follow him. You know, we talked about the tabernacle as being the, the dwelling place of God's presence. But it was something else significant as well. It was the dwelling place of the covenant between God and his people. We heard that in the scripture, that it was the place of the covenant law. That's where the the Ten Commandments were kept in the Ark of the Covenant. And it was the symbol of the promise between God and his people that he would be their God and they would be his people. They would follow him. They would represent him. They would bring his kingdom to the world by following who he was. It was a place of covenant. It was a place that said, we will follow you, God. And there's something in this that when we follow God, we'll know more of his presence. 
you know, there's probably no way of eventually escaping it that, that what I'm talking about is obedience. And for a lot of us, it's not a word that we naturally resonate with. It's like obedience. I'm not sure if I, I like being obedient. Anyone got kids? They, they love being obedient as well. It was funny last week. My, I've got a, uh, I've got a two-year-old. He's nearly two and a half. I would learn this morning, and um, he's he's just developing this beautiful personality, and he's becoming funny and humorous. But then alongside that, of course, he's developing this kind of strength of will, and let's call it, it it's a stubbornness there. But we all agree in my family that's from his mum's side, and um, and she's she, she's not in the room to defend herself. She's out serving somewhere probably, and um, and but but we had this experience around dinner time where, where my, my awesome little boy, he has a period of time around dinner time where he's fairly compliant and then he hits the wall and it's done. Anyone else experience that as a parent? I see some nods around the place. You're like, yeah, that's the deal, Phil. That's how it works. And, and he hit that moment and he, you know, kind of left the table to do his thing and we kind of encouraged him now. Now, buddy, mummy and daddy's still eating. Luke is still eating. You need to come back to the table. And this went on and on and on. And then in some kind of uh, misplaced protest, he picked up this envelope, which was a card for someone. <laughs> Actually, it was a card, card for someone thanking them for a gift they gave Luke when he was born 10 months ago. So I kind of dropped the ball on that one. And also that meant, because he grabbed that card, my wife discovered that I hadn't given that card to someone else. So I was like, this is a double whammy. It was actually for, for Jill Gaff, who I think is here this morning. Thank you for the lovely present that you gave 10 months ago. The, the card is still at my uh, dining table. But anyway, he, he just in protest, he grabbed this thing and he threw it on the floor. I just kind of looked at him. So like, no, buddy, you need to pick that up. You can't just throw mummy's card on the floor. You, you need to pick that up. And he's like, no. <laughs> no, you need to be. And this went back and back and forth. And eventually, and it's, isn't it funny with kids? They like get more and more. And I'm being kind to my son. He was, you know, a little bit more you know, emotive than how I just described. And, and then eventually, he just like flicks the switch and very happy. Here you go, daddy. I was like, where was that 10 minutes ago? But here was a really funny thing. Like two days later, I think it was, I was asking him what he wanted for breakfast. And he said, and so I said, when we were having this argument, I was like, pick up the envelope, pick up the envelope. And then I realized he doesn't know what an envelope is. I haven't used that word before. So I said, pick up the paper. And eventually, of course, he did. And then I asked him what he wants for breakfast. Like two days later, he said, Caleb picked up the paper. And I was like, what? Because I'd forgotten this whole thing. He's like, Caleb picked up the paper. And then I clicked what he was talking about. Are you talking about when you threw that thing on the floor and you picked it up? Yeah. It's like, how is that in your head right now? Isn't parenthood fun? It's just like this constant learning journey. But, but there's, no, there's no question that, that, that we, 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 we live our lives with this kind of tension between what we're going to obey and what we're not going to obey, what we're going to follow and what we're not going to follow. And a lot of us are thinking, I don't like the idea of being obedient to a whole bunch of stuff. But if we actually break it down and think about the way that we live our lives, it's a product of the decisions that we've made to say, this is what I'm going to follow. This is what I'm not going to follow. This is what I'm going to obey. This is what I'm not going to obey. And there's things that would say, yeah, that's what I want my life to be all about. I'm going to follow that rule. Or there'd be other things that say, no, that's ridiculous. I don't want a piece of that. And our lives, in a lot of ways, take the shape of the things that we're prepared to say, yes, that's what I want to be about. That's what I want to follow. And equally, they take the shape around the things that we say, no, I'm not going to follow that. Our lives, in a lot of ways, are a picture of selective obedience, the different things that we decide we're going to follow and model our lives upon. 
Now, when I think about that and I layer it back onto my understanding of how I might know more of the presence of God and the link that I see time and time and again through Scripture between knowing the presence of God and following the presence of God, the heart-wrenching question that I have to ask myself is to what degree do I selectively follow Jesus in my life? Now, if you ask that question earnestly, it should hit you somewhere in the gut. To what degree do I selectively follow God in my life? Do I selectively follow Jesus? What are the things that I say, yeah, I'm happy to embrace that, to walk in that, to follow you in that. I'm not so happy to follow you in these other spaces. You know, I'm reminded of the disciples as they followed Jesus, their rabbi. They followed in his footsteps everywhere he went. They went. Every experience he had, they experienced. And they didn't always respond appropriately or get it right all the time, but they followed step after step. To what degree am I selective about the way that I follow God? Let's go back to the scripture for the moment. We're going to flesh out this idea of following a little bit more. In verse 19, it says this. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, someone say long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. And at the Lord's command, they would encamp. And then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, less than a day. And when it lifted in the morning, they set out, whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whenever the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days or a month or a year even, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. We're hearing that word a bit, aren't we? Set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. Now, this is a crazy picture that we're seeing here. And really what it points to is that they had radical obedience in the desire to know God's presence. Whether it was for a year camped in one location or whether it was for half a day when God's presence moved, they set out, they chased after it. When God's presence remained, they encamped, they stayed no matter how long it was. So there's two sides to this kind of obedience, this kind of desire to follow him. And the first I want to call it obedience staying put. Now let's remember that Israel in this whole context through Numbers, they are travelling from point A to point B. This is the whole part of the story. They're nomads in the desert with a promised land of provision. There'd been talk of milk and honey. It was going to be this amazing place. And they're caught in between. And it seems like there were times where for up to a year, perhaps even longer, they stayed encamped in the same place when they were promised a, provision land, a land of provision on the other side of the desert. Now, do you think there might have been some people among them that were getting frustrated? I sometimes think I may have been one of them. God has promised us this, and we haven't moved for a year. His presence is still here. I thought we were going to be way over here by now. I thought we were going to have taken hold of the promise. 
and we're stuck right here, camped out around his presence. But there they stayed. And here's why I think they were able to do it. Because they understood that a less than preferable situation with God's presence was better than a more preferable situation without his presence. Can we take hold of the weight of that for a moment? In the experiences that you've had in your life, that a bad situation with the fullness of God's presence is better than an idyllic situation with the absence of his presence. And so the people were able to say, Israel was able to say, Moses was able to say, sure, this is the promise, this is the preferred future, but God's presence is right here. And sometimes one of the most challenging things to do in our journey of faith is to hold on to the presence of God when we feel completely stuck. When we can't understand why or how God is operating in our lives. But sometimes it's in those moments where we say, God, even though I feel stuck, even though I feel stranded, even though I feel like I'm camped out in the middle of the desert, your presence is here and that's all I need. That's all I can hold on to. You know, I believe we come to know the presence of God in such a powerful way when we learn what it is to cling to his presence when we feel stuck in a bad spot. Israel was able to do that. We're stuck here, in between the promise, caught in this journey. But God's presence still, even in this moment, burns like a fire among us. Can I tell you that when you're in that place, some of you, you're in that place right now, still in that place, God's presence burns like a fire. If we can simply lift up our eyes and know him, perceive him, Accept that he's there in that moment rather than saying, this is too frustrating. Forget this, I'm going off on my own. Ancient Israel was probably tempted to do that. Presence of God's got it wrong. We need to keep going in this direction. And they leave. What do we miss out on when we make a choice like that? There's obedience staying put. But there's also obedience in setting out. You know, I didn't count it, but it felt like there was about eight times where the phrase set out was used in that last section of passage. They set out, they set out, they set out. And there's an obedience that comes to following God in the setting out. You know, I think about what that might look like for our lives. I think that whenever there's a moment, whenever there's a moment in my life, in your life, where you feel that following God is causing you to do something that you kind of don't want to do. Anyone had a moment like that? No one? Well, good for you. That whenever, whenever we feel that God's calling us to step out in faith in a way that's inconvenient, in a way that's terrifying, in a way that causes us to let go of self, whenever we make a decision to follow God in those moments, we are setting out. And to truly know the presence of God, we have to have a willingness to say, God, I'll respond to your leading in my life. I will set out. I will change based on who I know you to be. So I trust you. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. 
You know, it was no small thing for ancient Israel. What do you imagine for a moment? 600,000 people setting up camp. It's a lot of tents, right? And then the tabernacle, it was immaculate, the, the amount of setup involved with, with setting that space up. 600,000 people camp out. A few hours later, the presence of God begins to move. You think, oh, we just set up camp. It took all day. And now we've got to set out again. Anyone else resonating with that? Any people of logic? You're like, God, we, we just stayed at this last place six months and now we spent a day setting up and instantly we've got to go again? It's like, oh, small death to self. Okay. <laughs> Let's step out. You know, it's pretty funny. A few, one of the things that we love to do as a church is, is support in the small ways we can local, uh, local homeless people in the community. And we do some cool things. We've got some teams that do a great job providing, uh, providing relational support and also food hampers. We've got a bathroom shower they can use. And then one of the other things we, we do is let, uh, let people in the community... Who, who are living out of their cars, sleep in our car park overnight because the city of Joondalup does a great job of moving on uh, homeless people in, in different car parks around the place. So, so we let them sleep there and we have conversations with them and say, but by 8.30 we, we'd like you to, you know, pack up and, and move on because, you know, we've got a school that runs here. We've got all kind of things going on. And one, one Sunday morning I arrived and there was a, there was a family that had, had taken us up on an offer to kind of, you know, live out of their car on, on the car park. And when I got there, I saw that... The, their setup now was like a van with two tents coming out of the side of it. There was like there was furniture set up. They had two little dogs. They, they'd actually drilled the guidelines of the tent with screws into the car park. This is this is Sunday morning. Like we're about to do church, and there's this whole thing going on down there. And so I asked John to go and have a conversation with them and say, <laughs> I, I didn't. I wanted to, but I did it myself. Uh, and I kind of said, Oh, guys, we've got you know we've got church starting. You're kind of over about you know six bays down there and he's like oh but we got so much stuff uh, he didn't use exactly those words and I was like yeah I, I know that's why I'm kind of asking you to to, to back up like we discussed and, and it, was, it was just this moment it was it was kind of intense actually but, but if you got it all backed up but I felt with him I was like that would have been so annoying he just spent all this time setting up and then this young Turk comes out and clears him off again <laughs> We were trying to do the right thing. But anyway, and I just, I just resonate with that, that there's things in our life that, that maybe we spend so much time investing in. Maybe things that, that we spend so much energy setting up that we think is the right thing for us, and then God goes, oops, no. You had it wrong on that one. It's time to set out. Like, but I put so much... No, this is where my presence is. And to let go of those things sometimes, to follow God in that way... Man, I hope that I have the, the faith in me to respond to God's leading in those kind of moments. But here's the great hope that, that as we're obedient to God in, the, in camping in his presence, no matter where we are, as we're obedient to God in setting out whatever it might be, whether it's a change of behavior, whether it's a change of career. I've got so many friends that have radically changed their lives, taken reduced pay multiple times because they felt God was calling them in a different direction. That's someone that's prepared to set out based on the leading of the Holy Spirit. How willing am I to do that in my own life? How willing are we to do that? Because there's this link between knowing his presence and following him.
But I want to be careful just for a moment because I don't want you to take what I'm saying and, hearing it the wrong, and hear it the wrong way. Now, earlier I was talking about the idea of the tabernacle, God's dwelling place, that ultimately that becomes my heart and my soul. Now, when I say yes to Jesus, I have the full and complete measure of the Spirit of God alive in me. Actually, John, could you help me out with something real quick? Could I borrow your wedding ring? Do you have it? Yeah, he occasionally doesn't wear it for, don't, don't throw it, I'll drop it. It's my left hand. I thought I'd back myself in. but uh, So this is, this is John's wedding ring. But let's pretend for a moment that this is this is my ring. Can we can we pretend that? So I'm gonna. I thought I thought John would be safe because you've got really big fingers, so I can put it on my finger and it won't get stuck. But but let's say that this is my ring. This is my ring. I purchased it. I got a receipt for it. I paid it in full. I own it completely, which of course I don't because it's yours. Don't worry, I'm not going to take it. But, but, but I own it. Let's just say that this is mine. I purchased it. It is completely mine. There's evidence of it. No one contests it, that this is my possession. But then let's say that I take this ring and I, I put it in a box and I put it under my bed. It is still 100% my possession. But in the day-to-day, I don't see it. The day-to-day, I don't think about it. Maybe once every now and again, I'll remember the fact that I have that awesome ring in that box under my bed. It's still completely mine, but I'm not overly aware of it. Now, let's contrast that with if I buy myself this new ring, still completely mine, and I wear it on my finger. And every day I see it. Every day I feel it. I take it off, I play with it, I lose it. Anyone else do that with their rings? (laughs) I find it, I pick it up, I see it, I'm aware of its presence every day because it's right there, I feel it, I see it, I know it. And when it's not there, I feel weird. Anyone else like that with your wedding ring? (laughs) Now this is the presence of Jesus in us. That when we say yes to him and we say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, we have the fullest measure of his spirit alive in us. That cloud, that fire has rested upon us. We are that dwelling place. But then our behavior, our willingness to follow him will determine how aware we are, how perceptive we are, how in tune we are to the flame that burns within our soul. It's there no matter what. I'm not saying if we follow God to a greater capacity, you'll have more of his presence because you're better somehow. I'm saying you have the full measure of the Spirit of God alive in your heart and soul right now. But it's time to know it, to be attuned to it, to feel it against your life, to know that his presence burns like a fire within like a pillar of cloud, like a pillar of flame. The full measure of the Spirit of God is alive in your life if you have said yes to Jesus. The next step is to follow him with radical obedience. Not so that you might wrongly earn more of him, but so that you would simply become aware of that which you already have. Can someone say amen to that? The presence of God alive in you. I'll throw it to you. You're a better catch. That was a solid left-hand throw. I didn't know what was going to happen then. I might have copped Justina. That wouldn't have been nice. When we engage with the presence of God and follow his leading, we experience more and are more aware 
of God's presence that abides in us. You know, I want to know the presence of God. I know there's a whole bunch of you here that you want to know the presence of God. In fact, I'm going to invite the, the team to come back and, and join us. And we're going, to, we're going to worship God together. And I just want to pray this morning that in a unique way, in that period of history and numbers, God revealed himself in a unique way. Countless times throughout Scripture, God reveals himself in unique ways. I want to pray today that God might reveal himself in a unique way in your life. That we'd start to get a measure of that sense that God's presence is in us like a pillar of flame. He rests upon our lives. He fills our soul. But some of us, we, we just don't experience it. We just don't know it. I wonder if there's a new step of obedience for you in your life. A new step of following him. To take more seriously that which you know to be true about who Jesus is and following his footsteps in a new way. Not to earn anything new, not to be better in any way, but to simply know more of his presence that already abides within. Can we stand together? I'd love to, I'd love to pray for you and then the, the team's going to lead us in a beautiful song of worship. And even now, I'd invite you to close your eyes. You can hold out your hands, ready to receive from the Spirit of God. Maybe imagine that cloud, that fire settling upon your heart. That maybe today there's a, a new step of obedience that needs to come. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that your presence is here. Lord, I thank you that your presence abides in every person here that has said yes to you. And Jesus, if someone needs to say yes to you right now, I ask that you would reveal yourself to them as well. But Jesus, I pray that we would know more of your presence, that we would experience more of your presence hold on to the truth that we already have your presence but God may we experience it more and God I ask that as we sing as we lift up your name that your presence your Holy Spirit would move in power here among us come on if you believe it why don't you begin to pray with me Jesus that you would move in such a real way that your presence would be here God that we would know more of you Jesus be here in this place we pray we're going to pursue the presence of God together this morning. And I want to give you an invitation as we did last week as well. If you'd love someone to pray with you during this song, feel free to come to the front. We've got prayer teams, we've got pastors, we've got elders, we've got people that would love to pray for you in this. To again know more of the presence of Jesus in your life. If you'd love someone to pray with you, why don't you just come in this song? And if not, seek the presence of God. Let's worship him this morning.